0: you're listening to ayahuasca podcast.com in this episode of ayahuasca podcast.com i am speaking to mary taliano uh, we speak about everything from transitioning from life to death regrets people have before dying um using death as our life coach, uh, psychedelics and fear of death, healthy grief, and we even include a little death meditation that you can uh, experience. I hope you enjoyed this episode. Mary, welcome to the podcast.
1: Thank you. Thank you for having me. I'm really excited and honored to be here. Thank you.
0: Uh, Mary... um, What drew you to this work that, you know, you could say most people avoid uh, thinking about death and talking about death, but uh, you're drawn to this work and to help people in this. uh, How did you end up in this position?
1: (laughs) Well, I think I became friends with death at a very young age. And if I think back, um, and I get this question a lot, when my first memory of death, what is my first understanding of it would be when I died at four and I truly began to see the world differently after um, that and if I look back now at that uh, version of myself and really witness the different things I was feeling and, and, and seeing after that experience, it changed me. Even at four I could recognize a difference. And um, you know, then began volunteering at end of life and senior care facilities. Um, from 12 to uh, end of high school, and I loved being there. I really saw an authenticity. Um, I saw so many people at the end of life that had so many stories to tell, and as a kid, I was just excited to sit and listen to those stories and had a lot of patience. And so I think witnessing that experience um, and witnessing more life at the end of life through the eyes of a child molded and shaped the way that i um, offer myself now and how i feel into this work
0: well the way you describe it makes it sound less negative uh, than we normally envision it Uh, mary what is death doula
1: a death doula is a wide range of souls so i get this question a lot and so when i'm a death doula my service is sound healing it is meditation, it is grief support, it's Reiki and somatic work, it's legacy and vigil, and also working with plant medicines. But then you might have another death doula who doesn't do any of the things that I do, but they're really great at estate planning, contracts, and a lot of like the logical work that goes into wills. And so I think this is by design. Every death is different, so there's a lot of need for a variety of what death doulas can do and so a death doula is a wide range of resources and support and we come in and we really complement where hospice leaves off we really are able to spend that time uh, supporting a family and supporting somebody during transition that maybe hospice doesn't have necessarily the time to do Um, they come in and they handle the medical part and so we really hold this other space with hospice and when, with other end-of-life care facilitators
0: yeah before uh, preparing for this podcast i didn't know a uh, word doula it's a, it's a new word for me um so you work with a lot of people mm. that are on their deathbeds um where do you think psychedelics and plant medicines come in what what can they help with um uh in that transition from life to death
1: Yeah, well, first I'll say that it's not for everybody. And so I support people at the end of life who have no idea that I serve plant medicine. And then I support people who have actively sought out my services for plant medicine facilitation. Um, yeah, so it, it, it's it's a variety of, of how I support people, but the people who are actively looking for this experience, uh, They're looking to support themselves during a very transformative time. And what psychedelics is, I truly believe, is a death practice, right? When you say yes to a ceremony, uh, diagnosis or not, all the things bubble to the surface. All all of the work starts to arise, and it's the same thing for end of life. And this really supports, you know, also transcendence, allowing this person to step outside of themselves for a moment, step outside the physical Experience and understand transcendence and trying to make meaning outside of the body definitely supports them during that time.
0: Do you think uh, psychedelics can be used as a form of rehearsal for death? For example, at, uh, here at our ayahuasca retreat, a lot of people report that, you know, I've died or I've even died several times, and in our instructions uh, for people before the ceremony, I say if you feel like you're dying just die because you will be reborn. And um I believe in mm-hmm. ancient Greeks that, that were drinking drinking Kikion, the um, the LSD based um uh, plant medicine, they, they had the phrase uh that if I would ever get a tattoo I'd probably tattoo that. But the phrase says if you die before you die you don't die when you die. So yes. yeah. I kind of like tried to answer your question, my own question, but yeah. What do you think uh, about that?
1: Yeah. I fully resonate with that and believe that plant medicine is one way that we practice death before dying, losing a relationship and a job, um, losing a certain way of understanding the world. When that changes, there's a death. So we are offered all of these opportunities to practice death our whole life. And I'll even say down to when we fall asleep at night. What do you do? You lay down, shavasana, corpse pose, (laughs) and you at some point, whether you decide it or not, whether you want it or not, you will fall asleep. And you go into a non-dual state. You are disconnected but connected still and you're practicing that surrender. And then you explore whatever you explore in the mind and the subconscious and then you come back to life, come back to, to this place. And so we're even practicing going to another side, coming back, going to another side, coming back. And I see this, um, a lot with people who are very close to the end of life. So they've already entered what I call the eternal sleep. They're not responsive. They're just breathing and the breathing is a little bit different and they're in that state. I can sometimes witness and they'll show me I'm coming out of my body. I'm coming back in, I'm coming out of my body. I'm coming back in. So I'm even seeing that kind of practice, you know, in other people at the end of life. So I see how it all connects.
0: When you say you see that, is that by using medical equipment or something else?
1: <laughs> well, actually, I've I've uh, seen it on um, pictures. I've seen souls leaving bodies in, in pictures um, for a client that I was facilitating his death. And then I see it typically, that was only one time. And then I see it typically just within my, I'll close my eyes and I'll put my hands over where uh, I feel I'm being called or allowed to put my hands over and just going into that state where I'm just witnessing things as they arise, and oh, sometimes that image will come up where they're showing me in and out, in and out, in and out, and what it looks like to me in my mind. So this is interesting. You know, it, intuition speaks to us differently. So we have a different psychic glossary. Uh, each one of us have our own unique ways of understanding. Uh, symbols and intuitive information and so when i see it typically i'll see uh, an outline of a body and then i'll see a light come out like like uh the same form of the body but light and dark and i'll see it kind of oscillating between it and that's how i understand oh they're practicing coming out of the body and coming back in if that makes any sense,
0: <laughs> I know you teach uh, people to be death doulas, but does that require learning that spiritual side of it and seeing energies and feeling energies, or can you even learn something like
1: that? Uh, well, we all have it. There's nothing that I can see or do or feel that that no one else has. It's just. Um, really getting in touch with those subtle energies and being intentional about going into those spaces and trying to understand it for yourself. So having that natural curiosity, I think awakens a lot of it already. Um, and it's not a requirement to be an end of life doula, but it's what my whole school is based off of. (laughs) I believe our intuition is one of the sharpest swords that we can, um, hold for ourselves in this life and at the end of life.
0: Okay. Well, that begs the question, if you see souls leaving, can you see how they look like, or is, is it just a feeling?
1: It's a, It looks like light to me. That's primarily what I've been shown a lot from the other side, is uh, a series of lights. Um, some tunnels, I've, I've gotten little glimpses of tunnels. There's been parts of um, supporting people in the end of life process where I know I, I, I'm i not allowed to see what they're, where they're at and what they're doing. It's not that I'm blocked, it's just, it's a space that's preserved for that moment, for that person that no outsider can witness, especially one that's <laughs> attached in earthly form. I just don't think I would even know how to compute what I'm seeing. Um, so there's, there's those aspects, um, with, with that. So I mostly see it as light. And, um, one of uh, souls recently showed me as they were in transition, um, he was showing me earth and he was showing me that the energy from this dimension, when it leaves, it's a, it's a big light and it shoots up kind of like a triangle. And then he showed me what it looks like when souls comes come in. And then it's like the opposite. And there was like this highway going back and forth. And I thought that and it was moving like a pulse. Mm -hmm. Um, And that was really cool. And we're talking a half of a half of a half of a half of a a second of an image. Mm -hmm. (laughs) But I understand it just like we do in medicine. When you see that image and it just solidifies and it speaks on all forms of your knowing. It's very much like that.
0: I mean... uh... Probably six, seven years ago, before I started working with the medicine, I'd probably say yeah, this this lady's crazy. But now I have to. I learned a lot, and <laughs> I, I accept a lot of things. So now, I'm, now the the doubt has been replaced with curiosity. Um, I don't know if I I can yeah. ask you that, but all kinds of questions coming up. In that case, what what is a soul? Is it is it a person a personality? Is it that Yeah, what is a soul, Mary? I don't know if you can answer that.
1: (laughs) I know it's precious. And I know that a soul has the ability to really comprehend the oneness. Um, So, and I think it oscillates between, uh, a soul can oscillate when you're in that soul form. It knows how to um, experience somewhat of, an individualistic perspective but also is very connected to the whole and i don't know how that looks or why it comes through that way for me but that's my answer for what i think a soul is (laughs) something um a part of us that remembers all of it
0: yeah what's uh what what are you most passionate about in in that work like what what uh, makes you keep doing it
1: The authenticity. I worked in finance and insurance for 16 years, and it was fun. It was at a motorcycle dealership, so it wasn't like, you know, I could cuss at work, and I can throw up my my shoes on my desk, and it was very casual, and so like, it fit this little younger version of me that wanted to be successful in a playful environment, and so that's why I stayed there. Um, But as I moved into this work, the truth of this work outweighed anything that I could ever imagine doing ever again. Like there's no, I just remember my evolution of finding what I want to do in this life. And each step of like work and career and, and trying to figure it out, there was always like the next thing, right? Okay, I'm doing this as a vehicle to get to that. Or I know there's something else and there's like this curiosity. Where am I going to land it? Where's my career going to really sink in. That doesn't exist anymore for me with this work. Um, It is just something that nourishes me each time that I support somebody at the end of life, just as much as I'm nourishing them. And I I can't deny that that realness and that purity that can be exchanged.
0: Well, this is a very necessary work that you're doing. And, And I know you're also on a mission to sort of rebrand death and um you 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 teach a lot of other people how to do this work so in 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 the training you provide can you for for people that are listening that maybe are interested in this field how, how does this how does this look like
1: yeah so it's a 90-day program and what it is is A program that one, you can become a death doula and create a business. There is those teachings in it as well. Or two, you can really take this curriculum and just get closer with death in your own way. So for example, the first two weeks of my curriculum, I'm not going over what a death doula does or how to do it or anything else. What I'm doing is I kill my students through a variety of meditations and different breath works and different prompts during our one-on-ones and our group calls. I'm taking them through their death and I think that's important so that they can understand where death is teaching them so that they can best support themselves while they're supporting others and it's just uh, illuminating any blind spots and so the program is is just to get closer with that piece with us and then if by default this information is shared or a business is created or another school is created from it or Retreats, or however you know, the students um, take the information and alchemize it, it's beautiful. I've been doing this school for many years now, and what I see when I look at all the people who have come through this program is just a variety of different flowers in a field, and they're all sprouting in their own unique way. And so, this school I didn't realize was a mystery school. Uh, I never made this school to be like, I guess that's how you know <laughs> it's a mystery school when it's a surprise to me, too. But looking back now, I can I I just started understanding that this is a mystery school because you don't really know what you're going to do sometimes with this information. But by the time the program's over, you know,
0: (laughs) when you work with uh, people that that do have interest in uh, using plant medicines or psychedelics in their transition, how does that look like?
1: Mm. Well, there's a lot of different considerations um, to, to go into first and foremost. So a lot has to do with um, their intention, you know, making sure that um, their intention is realistic. I never want to tell somebody you're going to take this medicine and it's going to change it all and it's going to make it better. And, you know, or, you know, so I'm really looking out as they're communicating their intention just to make sure everything uh, is in their consent and they know what it is and what it's not. And so that's first. And then the second thing is medical. Um, although I do screen medically, my non-diagnosis clients, um, the, typically at the end of life, there's a lot of different medications to consider. And so we go really heavy into that. Um, My goal when I'm serving end of life patients is to have the whole care team if I can, the doctors, the family, everybody, if we can all be on the same page, that is my ideal situation. Um, And then uh, something else that I, I highly consider before serving somebody is who's gonna be around them during integration. Um, because if somebody is not on board, right? We got cousin Dan from <laughs> Tennessee who's like, What are you giving, grandpa? Hell no, I'm calling, you know, whatever it is. People get, you know, have their own opinions and, and they're fine to have it, but I need to consider who's going to be caring for this person during integration because they're going to be very vulnerable. And they, unlike people who, you know, will go do ayahuasca and come home and be like, You know what? I don't want to be home right now. I'm going to continue, like, stay here for another couple weeks and do a journey and go see a waterfall and integrate. Like, they don't have that option. So I have to make sure that the people who are going to be supporting them afterwards are on board and um, just as much uh, a support as this person needs for this space.
0: Well, this is why we're recording this podcast so that Dan from Tennessee, Dan, I hope you're listening, gets educated. And when uh, when the time comes, yeah, he's ready yeah. to to accept that. It's it's a beautiful work because if you um, if you work with plant medicines and let's say you work with the entire the 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 person that is dying and also the the people that are ready to be grieving, they can sort of work through the maybe conflicts and take the masks off and get really connected. And the person that is that is dying can sort of rehearse the process a little bit. And then when when the person dies as well, you also then help the people to grieve. Um, so the two mm-hmm. questions are, what what medicines do you work with in that process? And um, is there a follow-up for the, for the grieving people?
1: Yeah, so during the grieving process, the grief is the medicine. So I'm not going to serve somebody who is an immediate... Uh, Grief, this is a part of what I do is just support them through that heavy dark place Um, And hopefully we can get to somewhere down the line eventually Um, Preferably Maybe like a year after the person has transitioned to maybe then consider uh, a plant medicine experience if it's something they're actively wanting to do Um, Microdosing psilocybin can be great, not immediately, but maybe in between that marker of a year, maybe you know at the six month marker, maybe a little bit further in the in the process. Um, so the grieving process, the grief is the medicine, and I I love to support people in that place because there's so much that gets activated uh, in the grief process that um, people can sometimes overlook or miss. Um, and so having somebody to reflect, uh, a little bit back, what's going on in that experience for them can be really impactful for how they hold this grief forever. Um, so yeah, I like to set people up, um, with a healthy foundation of grief right away. Um, and then later on plant, consider plant medicine, but it's definitely not something that's in my scope of practice to do immediately.
0: Um, we have a lot of people that come to the to the retreat that have recently experienced the, the loss of a loved one. And not always, but I would say 50% of times, they somehow, through ayahuasca, manage to, to connect to the spirit and to maybe have the parting words. And sometimes the, um, the people tell them, uh, you know, there's something I forgot to say especially when they didn't have a chance to to say goodbye what do you think about that is that is that a, a real thing or is it just in in in, the, in their heads or
1: <laughs> who am i to say <laughs> i know for me when i've connected to the other side it's very real it's very intimate And there could be nobody that could say, oh, that's not real, or that didn't happen, or, you know, so for me, it's a very personal experience. And I would say the, when it feels the most real for me is when it feels embodied and not in my mind. And so if that's the feeling, and that's the frequency, and that's where I'm at, I really interpret that as truth. Um, And there's, So much, like, I don't know, the the other side of the veil has never been louder. (laughs) It's just uh, wildly obvious to me that there is something on the other side that really supports us. And the message that I get quite often is we need them as much as they need us. This is still a collaboration and this is still a connection if we can allow it to be.
0: Well, I personally believe it. And I'm a skeptic. I try to sort of um, question everything. But I believe it because sometimes... People also get messages that they personally had no way to know about, uh, like uh, you know, tell your mom to go do this with that person, and then they pass the messages along, and people get surprised, like, how did you know that? So yeah, I do believe in as as I'm saying. As the longer I work in this line of work, the more I can learn about the invisible and um, and stuff that you know. Dan from Tennessee would uh, would not approve of uh, so yeah um what do you think about um the topic of fear before dying and if if plant medicines can help with that
1: <sighs> well I'll t- would you like to hear a story i tell this one story
0: often, is the best way to go
1: uh, about a Yeah. Yeah. I think that that might be nice. So I've told this one before, but for me, it's quite captivating each time I tell it. And so I was working with a woman and she was nearing the end of life. I would say um, after I served her, she she passed within a week and a half. So that's how close she was, but she was able to walk when I uh, was uh, supporting her with, uh, with a walker and support of her, uh, her daughter. And, um, and what we were working with was very low doses of 5-MeO-DMT. And so what I do is I serve them a very small amount of the isolated alkaloid, and they go through the experience. Boom, they complete. We have a conversation. We do a little integration, and they have an option to go again. And then we kind of rinse and repeat that um, as many times as they like, but staying within a very safe buffer so they can't keep going going and going, but, you know, allowing them to really experience that for as long as they need to. And so um, her main concern was that separating from her body would be really painful. That was her fear. And that was the fear that continued to ruminate in our intake process and before I served the medicine. And you know, this was a deep fear. And I could tell this was, you know, something she thought about in her most quiet moments. And um, so we go for the first round and she's in the medicine and she goes, oh, mm, and she's kind of moaning and turning her head a little bit. And she takes a sigh and she goes, oh, separated separated and she's like making different tonings with the word separated. I'm just holding space and I'm a facilitator that I am i call myself a facilitator. I'm not a shaman. I'm not a healer. I'm just a medicine facilitator. So I I don't really have like the indigenous tools to kind of shake or just, just allow and witness and support when they call me in. And so after this loop in this first round and we're talking and I said, can I ask you something? She goes, yes. And I said, you were in there and you kept saying separated. You kept saying it in different ways and you would turn your head, do you, do you remember? Or can you share a little bit about what was going on with you? And she goes, yes, I was separating from my body and it was beautiful and it was like this dark void, but I was like falling into it and I was trying to understand it, but it, it didn't end. And she was describing this place she was going to. And after she was done describing it, I said, did it hurt? And right when I said that, she kind of like smiled from, you know, one side of her face. And she goes, no, huh. And at that moment, I watched in live time the contract between the fear and suffering of separating from the body change. And when I think about that, you know, you asked me earlier, like, what inspires you with stories like that? Because I wonder, I I always am wondering, like, what would have been like if she hadn't had that connection, if she continued to ruminate on that fear and fear until it got so big that that was all she could pay attention to was that fear. Um, And something else got ironed out in that moment for her. And uh, a week later, she died very peacefully, surrounded by the people that she loved the most, and it didn't hurt.
0: Beautiful story. Kind of makes me want to ask for another story. Do you have more stories like this? Makes you feel nice and, <laughs> nice and fuzzy.
1: Yeah, I, I have a beautiful story about um, uh, another client of mine who uh, I worked with him for quite some time. I worked with him in diagnosis all the way to the end of life and supported his family in um, a very big and intimate way, I would say. And uh, as we got closer from now palliative care to hospice. He wanted to, and this is a family, by the way, uh, long before his illness for many years, this family was sitting in ayahuasca and going here to this retreat. So they're very familiar with plant medicine. Um, And towards the end, this is something that they wanted to experience as a family. And so um, uh, the setup was, here's the living room, and this is where his bed was. And then there's a wall here. And there's a fireplace in between the wall to the next bedroom. And so my client, we all hold space. His children are there and we, you know, beautiful experience. And so we get done with him. And so the family dynamic is is his ex-wife and new husband is his caretaker. But the family gets along really well. There's a lot of love here. Uh, But now there's this other man, right, in this home who's going to be the father of these children when this man passes. There's an awareness of this, but um, it hadn't been spoken quite like this. So um, the stepfather now went into the room and um, we began to open up the space for him to experience the medicine. And as soon as he started to go into it, I got the message, go to the client in the living room. Now he was already asleep and, and tucked in and you know, doing very silent and well out there. So I I was like, okay, I'm just gonna listen to where I'm being called to go. There was a a facilitator and uh, the wife in the room. So I felt good about enough people in the room to hold space while I went and to support the other, uh, the man who was transitioning. So I go out there and I hold his hand and immediately he's just giving me all these messages that were so powerful that I still carry to this day. Um, But one thing that was incredible is I'm holding his hand and he's just showing me so much. All of a sudden that fire, crack, crack, pop, pop, poop, poop. And like the flame, like the, you know, when a fire pops and stuff comes out, the ambers, it was like popping out. And I was like, well, okay, (laughs) interesting. And so I go back and I'm holding the client's hand and, and I'm like asking what this is. And I'm watching these two energies in the room start to do this. Like there's emerging and I don't understand it, but I'm like, cool, this is nice. The new father, or the you know, the, the husband that's going to be stepping in comes into the room after his experience and he sits down and he's crying and he says, I was in my medicine journey and he was passing me the baton. And he said it was happening through the fire. And I was like, <laughs> So it was like this fire, this was an energetic merger of these two energies like through the fire through the transformation through the destruction through the realness of this something was being reborn and i jim would sorry i shouldn't say names <laughs> could edit that out he was literally passing that baton to the new father and so that's another story that that lives with me um And i think about
0: it quite often (laughs) it is very beautiful um yeah i don't i don't think you should worry about the name it's just one name you didn't have the the whole story (laughs) Um, (laughs) talking about stories and um when you work with people and uh what what do they talk about you know in last days of their lives especially what are the regrets people mention when they're dying?
1: It's all around where they spent their time. If it, if it's a regret, it's how they spent their time and what they were spending their time doing. And if it was truly the most valuable place, they should have been placing their energy or not. Um, I truly believe we're in the right place at the right time. Always. I don't know if that will necessarily be my regret, but I do see that one come up quite often. Family dynamics, how things have been handled within the family, um, all, all variety of different ways that that shows up, Come, you know, family, that kind of comes all to a head at the end of life as well. Um, but, you know, it, it's great to explore these, we call it as an end of life doula rugs, regrets, unfinished business, guilt and shame. And so this is a, there's different exercises and prompting questions we can support people with to, um, kind of help them understand themselves and see if they can um, support them a little bit more in different shadow work. Um, but it's also part of the work to enliven and see where what, what is your legacy? What have you left behind? Um, what are you leaving behind? What are future generations going to be able to experience because you were here? And so that's a big part of the work
0: as well. I have heard somewhere, probably another podcast, because I'm such a big fan of podcasts, but um, that people say that a lot of times it, the the tendency seems to be that people regret spending less, less time with their family and more time working. Mm-hmm. So it's like family, they want yeah. more family and they hope they focus less on the money. And I noticed that a lot of times it happens to to people at the retreat through that rehearsal of death when they realize it. a lot of peop, times people come and with the big ego and like in the first word circle, they always mention this and that and how, how successful they are and how more successful they want to be, as in trying to see if ayahuasca can help them achieve that. And then around ceremony three, four, all of a sudden the, the tone shifts and they start talking about... Love and family and God, and a lot of times they they never go back to the to the other worldview. Um, Person, first first of all, have you personally worked with ayahuasca before? And um, because you you seem to try to not want to mention what medicines you work with, which is cool if you're not allowed to.
1: No, I I mean, I've worked with ayahuasca myself personally as as somebody who's sitting with the medicine. The medicines that I serve people in diagnosis or at end of life is um, sometimes MDMA, psilocybin, microdosing psilocybin, or um, 5-MeO-DMT.
0: But do you reckon...
1: Yeah, but I've had I've had my experiences with ayahuasca.
0: Okay. No, I was it's just worried that definitely maybe, maybe because you're in the US, you're not allowed to talk about it and I'm kind of like pushing for it and I was I felt a little uh, weird so uh, what do you think yourself as you work with ayahuasca? First of all, has it helped you in in understanding your work better? And also, what do you think if um, if people that, you know, instead of only doing it closer to their death they... They've done it many times and sort of are better versed in that other version of reality, if that can help.
1: Yeah. Um, so ayahuasca, when you know, I sit, I've sat with it, one of the most profound experiences was I was sitting up and I did my purge and I was just kind of like, oh, <laughs> uh, just feeling a little heavy at the moment. And it was just like this beautiful whisper, lay down. This is going to be your death. And I was like, oh, okay. So I lay down and I went through the whole dying process decomposing, deconstructing, going into the earth, going down into the middle of earth, coming back, going up into the universe, exploring it all, and then coming back and fragmenting back into myself. And I really valued that experience to have a whole death and i've experienced death in, in other medicines as well but ayahuasca showed me just this other part of it that um i think just awoken something in me like right just like a cellular memory um the like whatever frequency that was waking up in me um is a part of the, the the presence that i hold it's not necessarily i'm telling people about my my ayahuasca experience but i that medicines and me, that memories and me, and just by me being open and vulnerable and sharing myself, that medicine gets transferred to them, and that whatever that is, um, yeah, that's that's how ayahuasca has shown me to share that experience with others. Just be being there and having that already inside of me. And have you? And you and too. You... <laughs> and you and you and you and you. And yeah. listening.
0: <laughs> and have you noticed that people that let's say dedicated some part of their lives to spirituality, whether through plant medicines or other ways that they have easier time navigating the last days of their lives?
1: I would say so. The more familiar you are with death, the more exposure you have to it, the less you're afraid of some things towards the end because it's already been demystified. I've seen enough death to know a little bit about my death. And for me, that brings me comfort and it shows me a little bit of what that platform looks like. And because I have that exposure, there's nothing in my nervous system that is like turns away from it. Well, I'll have my own fears and I'll have my own sorrows and my own burdens. Uh, At the end of life, I know I'll always be a student to my last breath. And and no one knows what that really, I don't know what it feels like to be dying. Um, You don't either yet. So I know the stakes change. But um, yeah, I I do believe that these practices are informing us for the end of life. And and it's an important thing um, to serve to ourselves is just getting closer with death and the end of life process.
0: You say we should make death our life coach
1: mm-hmm why death is my life coach tell us more <laughs> yeah it's everybody's life coach whether you want it or not
0: <laughs> so so why should we do it and how what should we focus on um in in that making death our life coach
1: yeah i would say if this is um, something that you're new to, this is a new concept of making life or making death your life coach. I would say maybe listen to a death meditation. And I can, um, Sam, I can send you one of my death med- meditations and maybe you can put a link in the bottom so that they can just click it if they want to. Um, but listening to um, some kind of death meditation and then when you're done and you come out of it, Evaluate what was the most important for you, you know thought for you in that experience. who were the people there? who what was the energy surrounding you? Like just gather information from this meditation um, and write it all down. And when you kind of put it in front of you, you can kind of see what is your value? What are you valuing today? Uh, what is your impact to yourself and others? Um, are you doing the thing that you really want to do? Are you not doing the thing you really want to do? And so it's kind of like a pendulum to kind of be, you know, where are you at on this spectrum of life? And so if it was today, well, now you have a lot of information to kind of lean into how you want to experience right now, because it's all we have. Is it So using death meditation is a beautiful way to uh, start to be guided by this process. Is it
0: kind of like asking yourself, what will people talk about me when I die, what will be written in my obituary?
1: No, yeah, I mean, yeah, not, I don't put emphasis on that because like, Mm -hmm. who cares? (laughs) You know, like as far as like, um, you know, I don't really necessarily want people to really focus on like how people will, well, I mean, it's important to know you're going to be remembered, but I really like them to focus on like what's happening right now, what is important right now, because that's what brings them to the present moment. Um, and I think kind of worrying about what people think or how they perceive you is kind of putting a little fear into the future. Um, but I think if by consequence, if you can just be the best version of you now in this kind of spectrum of death meditation, by consequence, people are going to have wonderful things to say to you or about you at the end of life.
0: Mary, how long is the death meditation?
1: The death meditation is eight minutes and 55 seconds.
0: Okay. So it's not that long. Can I ask you for a favor? Can you give us, like, Mm-mm. a simplified version, like no. a three-minute one right now, and then we'll link to the full one? Just so people can. Oh,
1: yeah. Well, I mean, I, I don't know if this one will necessarily mirror that one. I, I'm just going to channel and see what comes through, and then we'll make that an option for them. Please, so just go ahead wherever you're at. Just one second.
0: Please, please, guys, and... if, you're, if you're driving... <gasps> Uh, don't 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 drive while meditating. Okay, so just stop your car and then uh, let's go, Mary. Thank you.
1: This death meditation is not supposed to kill you, so please pull over or listen to it later. So go ahead and just close your eyes and soften any places in your body where you're holding on to any tension. The space between your eyes your jaw, your shoulders, and softening your belly. And for a second here, just witness your breath. The breath is the first thing you do and the last thing you do. Witnessing the rising and the falling Now, I want you to imagine yourself at the end of your life. You can be any age, and your transition can be whatever you would like to see for your death. And I want you to begin to notice the room or the place that you're at. It could be any place on this planet. Place you've been or never been. It can be in nature or in a room. But just observe your surroundings. Thinking of your life how far you've come, what have been your triumphs, what have been your challenges, can you see where your life has impacted others, taking it all in without trying to change anything, just witnessing your life story. And all of a sudden, as you're in this space, you begin to witness people starting to enter wherever you're at. They can be souls who have transitioned or people who are present in your life now. Having those conversations with your loved ones, saying what you need to say relaying your love and your gratitude in whatever way feels right for you. As the space you're in becomes more crowded, are people celebrating you? Are they mourning you? What is the nature of your relationships and your interactions? Are there things that you need to say? Anything that you need to compassionately close? Taking it all in. As each person begins to fade away, leaving you and your number one ally in this life, your body. Thanking your body for what it's done and for what it will do no longer. It has served you well. Thanking your body as you begin to see a white light flickering in the corner of this space. The more awareness you bring to this light, the more that it engulfs your entire view it feels warm, and it feels like home, as you begin to dissolve into this infinite light, feeling weightless, buoyant, and free, taking a moment in this space. Then bringing it back to your breath, taking in a deep inhale, exhaling it out, another deep inhale, just connecting you back into your body and wiggling your fingers and wiggling your toes and blinking your eyes open. And for your listeners, I will say: take a moment if you need, write things down if you need, and just use all of that information as information for how you can be your best, most whole version of yourself today.
0: Thank you, Mary. Great meditation. I've um, I've learned something from it. Um, yeah, it's it's important to think about it, guys, because there's few things are certain in this life and one of them is that we are going to die one day and uh, better get uh, better get uh, ready and uh, use that notion to propel us to um, better decisions in life Um, but for most of us i would say probably who are listening the death is not soon yet but maybe um, if we do lose a loved one or family member friend uh, you mentioned a concept of a healthy grief Uh, can you talk a a little bit about that
1: Mm, that's such a good question healthy grief is just the kind of grief that doesn't turn away
0: what does that mean
1: well healthy grief is It's just being in the full ecstatic and realness and somatic realness of that experience, allowing yourself to scream, allowing yourself the silence, allowing yourself the space, allowing yourself the right foods or whatever foods you desire. Um, And it's just about continuing to say yes to self-care and seeing somewhere in all of that if you can find the diamond in the ashes. And usually, well, not usually, but I'll I'll go ahead and make a very broad statement. Grief has always left us with something more for ourselves. It's given us gifts every single time. Um, And so if you can sit in the ashes long enough, you'll find that. Healthy grief is just one that is an allowance and one that has compassion for self. Because your whole nervous system is rewiring itself to understand a world without this person or thing or place or experience in it.
0: Mm-hmm. Thank you. That's, um, that's very wise. Uh, Mary, what is Anamkara? Mm-hmm.
1: Anamkara is a Celtic, well, the word itself is the Celtic phrase for soul friend. And I thought that, well, you know, as I was becoming a doula, I was like, that seems appropriate. That's kind of what I'm doing. I'm a soul, seeing another soul and befriending it. Um, and so the Anamkara Academy is my end of life school. Um, but the word Anamkara directly is soul friend.
0: Okay, so uh, Mary, thank you so much uh, for for sharing. It's, uh, it's been It's been very... Very profound. Uh, I've definitely learned a lot from it, and I'm sure the listeners as well uh, uh, will definitely link to the full death meditation and and the, the captions. You you'll send me that afterwards, please. Uh, for yes, for those absolutely. who want to learn more about your work, or you know, learn how to become a death doula, or. Maybe they're dying themselves or a loved one is dying or they want to learn more about grief. Where can they find more about you?
1: You can visit my website at connectanamkara.com So C-O-N-N-E-C-T-A-N-A-M-C-A-R-A dot com. Um, You can locate me on Instagram, Mary underscore Telliano, T-E-L-L-I-A-N-O. Those are really good places to start. And send me an email, send me an Instagram message. Um, Pretty open, however people come through.
0: Definitely do that, guys. And um, thank you, Mary. It was uh, very interesting.
1: (laughs) Thank you.
0: Have a beautiful day. Uh, guys, you've been listening to ayahuasca podcast.com as always with you, the host, Sam believe. I hope you enjoyed that episode and I will see you in the next episode. Guys. I hope you enjoyed this episode. If you like our podcast and would like to support us and psychedelic revolution at large, please follow us and live like Whenever you're listening to this podcast, um, Nothing in this podcast is medical advice. It's intended for educational purposes only.